friends, it's great to see you, and uh, we are working through the book of Nehemiah together, and uh, we have reached chapter 7 and 8. I'm not going to speak on chapter 7 because it's a list of names, so we're going to jump to chapter 8. But before we do that, um, uh, many people in life want to go after the next thing, don't they? It's like we, we need the next thing. Do you remember last week when we were thinking about Nehemiah? We were thinking about the fact that uh, Nehemiah had been called to go and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And in so doing, he uh, began to rebuild society, rebuild community, because uh, the, community had lo- the community of God had lost this sense of being together and had retreated into Uh, It's all about me. It's about what I can do, what I can get, what I can want in life. And they'd lost this sense of togetherness. And we reflected on the fact that actually they rebuilt the walls by refinding that sense of togetherness. I want you to watch uh, this clip. It only lasts two minutes. And um, uh, it's just about wanting the next thing. And here is uh, a little interview about the new iPhone 5 that's come out. Funny how people react when the new iPhone comes out. Some people actually get mad. Why would they make another product? I desperately want to buy those bastards. It's almost as if the new iPhone somehow ruins the old iPhone, but it doesn't. It's it's all in your head. In fact, we set a camera out on the street today, and we told people outside to check out the new iPhone 5, which is unavailable so far. So in reality, they were what they were looking at is the current iPhone 4S that everyone has. And well, here's how that experiment played out. The new iPhone 5 just came out today. We want to know if you'll take a look at it. Tell us how it compares to the last iPhone. I'd love to. Oh, it's way better. Yeah, it's nice. That's definitely noticeably better. It's a little a little thinner. Looks like the screen's a little bigger. Seems a little bit faster. Yeah. Faster, lighter. Feels uh, heavier. Feels heavier? I think so. A lot lighter than the last one. It's a lot faster as well. Mine's going to take forever. So this one's faster? Yeah, definitely faster. Right on. Oh, it looks very nice. Very nice, very updated. Oh, my God. It feels a lot lighter and just more, um, just a lot more higher quality. And it's got, um, if you drop it, it looks like it's not going to break. Like this one has a million times. The screen is clear, HD. Colors are brighter. Oh, it has a video front and back? Mm-hmm. Video front and back? That's cool. This doesn't have that. So you like it better than the last one? Yeah, I have the 4S. Yeah? Yeah. I'm always open for a new phone. <laughs> well, it's the, uh, the emperor's new phone. The thing is this. We always seem to be looking for the next thing. But most of it's in our head. Satisfaction comes from what's in our head. They, they, they miss the point. Have, you, have, have I told you the story about the... Um, Texan farmer who was visiting uh, a, a little farm in Scotland. Have I told you that story? A, a, a little crofter in Scotland. He, a, a, his Texan farmer came over. He was seeking out his roots and uh, he came over to stay on a farm in uh, Scotland. And um, uh, uh, this little crofter running this little farm, he, he, he stayed with him. And, and on the first morning, they were outside. The, 
drinking a cup of tea together, uh, leaning on a gate, and, and the Texan said to this crofter, he said, well, how, how far does your farm stretch? And the crofter said, well, he, he said, you see that fourth field over there? He says, we go all the way to the end of that fourth field. And he says, we've got, we got the two fields over there, and we've and we got three fields over there. And uh, Texan said, oh, okay. And after a few minutes, the crofter said to the Texan, so uh, how big's your farm? And the Texan said, well, let me, let me put it this way. If you got in my car in the morning, and I drove all day, I wouldn't have got halfway across the farm. And the crofter thought for a moment, he said, do you know, he said, I had a car like that once as well. I <laughs> he missed the point, you see. He, that's the point, he missed the point. And, and what, what Nehemiah's done here is, is he's gone to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. You remember where we are. If you weren't here the last few weeks, let me do a quick seven chapters with you. Chapter one, Nehemiah hears that the walls in Jerusalem are broken down. The people are living in the ruins. They've been living in the ruins for 80 years. He realizes that the people have lost something. And so he breaks down and prays and fasts and pleads to God. And he finds God gives him permission to leave his job that he was doing and to go to Jerusalem and to act as God's agent to rebuild the walls. But I don't think he was just a builder of walls. And he certainly wasn't going just to rebuild the walls. The walls signified something. And he started to get the people together and they started rebuilding the walls. We're in chapter 3 now. They started rebuilding the walls and he got the people and he said, you lot get together and you work and you build this bit of the wall and you lot get together and you build this bit of the wall and you lot work together. And he started getting the people in groups to rebuild the walls. And, And all of a sudden they started doing community together. And when they started working together, they, they said, oh, hold on, there's, some, there's a, 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 a bit of inequality here. We see that some of us have money and some of us don't. Some of us have, have, have abused this, this time, this last 80 years, and made themselves rich on other people. At the same time as that, others who are outside, who are seeing the people of God rebuild the walls... They were looking on and started uh, discouraging them and, and, and coming against the fact that they're rebuilding these walls. And, and Nehemiah strengthens the people. He says, look, you've got to keep going. Keep going. Rachel spoke a really powerful sermon on that. You know, when, when, when discouragement or opposition comes, this is what we've got to do. We've got to pray. And then we've got to listen to God. And then we've got to keep doing the right thing anyway. And, and that's what we've got to do. And that's what Nehemiah encouraged the people to do. And he said of those who'd abused others, those who'd, who'd caused the inequality amongst them, he said, those of you who've caused others to be in debt, those of you who've taken away from others, you've got to give back to them. And there's got to be an equality. We've got to be a people who work together. You remember this, the, 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 the passage in Acts chapter 2, when the new church was birthed and there wasn't anybody who had any need amongst them. And they helped those who had in need. And those who had sold what they had to give to those who hadn't, that everybody would have 
in equal measure that that in some way there would be this new sense, this new community. And, and Jesus says, and they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, by the way in which you serve one another, by the way in which you give to one another. And Nehemiah's doing this right here in the first half of the Bible, about page 400 in your Bible. He's hard at it. And these people get it and they start working as a community together. And you, you just get to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, it says that 52 days after Nehemiah had arrived, the walls were rebuilt. 52 days. 80 years amongst the ruins. And one person comes along and says, look, enough of you living for yourself. Let's start working together. Let's start refocusing on God. Let's start rebuilding together. Let's start standing together. And all of a sudden, significant things happened. And then we're at chapter 7. Um, and, and chapter seven's a list of the people who start pouring back to Jerusalem. All of a sudden, there's this, this call, this sense of community. We've got to go back and be with our people. We've got to stand together to see God's kingdom come. We've got to work together. And all these families start coming back and they're listed there with the numbers in those families. And it says a total, verse 66, is there a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah in addition to 7,337 servants and 245 singers, both men and women. And they took with them 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels and 6,720 donkeys. It's extraordinary that they separate out the singers. I don't know why they do that, but suddenly the singers and the mules and the donkeys get separated out there. I don't know. Something peculiar going on there with the singers and the mules and the donkeys. I was encouraged when I read that because I can't sing. But then they gather together. Then we get to we get to chapter eight. That's where we are tonight. And and this is what's happened. The people then come to. Nehemiah, and they said, well, you've caused reconstruction amongst us. You've reconstructed the wall, and you've begun to reconstruct society, the community. All of a sudden, we're this people again that are living with a hope, with a a new energy, with a new focus. In chapter 8, they say, and now we need re-instruction. We need to know how to live. We need to know, separate from you, what God is calling us to do. And when I, when I read this, I, I was uh, reminded of a passage in um, which I'm just going to set the scene with this little passage from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is about the, the, the birth of the new church. And you know Peter, the great evangelist, the disciple of Jesus, someone who was absolutely on fire and so impatient for the things of God. And uh, he describes the new church in this way. And he says this, um, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this, verse 5, in view of all of this, this is what we're to do, he says, in view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. 
when you see it, when you understand it, when you comprehend what God calls you to as a community together, he says, this is how we're to live. This is how we're to live. We're to live as people with, through our faith, supplement your faith, he says, with a generous provision of moral excellence. And your moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. And the people in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time, they were just beginning to see them. Oh, Nehemiah's done the reconstruction. Now we need some reinstruction. Our lives need to change. It says in Romans 12, doesn't it, in a different way, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we get the things of God, when we, when we begin to comprehend how God wants us to live and what God wants us to do in life, then he says, root it by being re-instructed by God's uh, word. It's really about uh, what we base our lives on. Uh, the people of Jerusalem had stopped basing their lives originally on their families, their community life, on the solid foundation of what God was calling them to. Instead, they'd moved with the times. They changed their thinking. Their philo- and they changed their philosophy according to who was around at the time. Who God was calling them, who others were calling them to be. So for them, it had become okay to worship different gods. For them, it had become okay to live immoral lives. For them, it had become okay to put themselves first. But now, having rebuilt, this is what chapter 8 says, in October, when the Israelites are settled in their towns and all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate, they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon, and he read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. I quite like giving me great encouragement that if anybody should ever uh, think that we have a long church service here. It says here that they gathered early in the morning until noon. All morning, like early in the morning. Now, for some of us, that's different times, isn't it? Early for me would be five. Six is acceptable. Early for some people in my house? Well, it could be one in the afternoon, actually, but... Early in the imagine if you were called early in the morning. Imagine if we said we're going to gather for six hours every Sunday morning and just focus on the Word of God. Probably a lot of you would say, "I'm going to go find another church." <laughs> but actually, that's what these people do. Why? Because they were desperate. They realised where they'd gone wrong, and they realised they needed reinstruction. How did they do that? Well, they came together hungry for answers, hungry for direction from the Word of God. And they would have had the uh, Pentateuch read to them, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, would have been read out to them. 
as uh, they began to understand again what it meant to live as a people of God. What were the laws? What were the directions? What were the things that they had to follow to understand what God had called them uh, to do? You know, most people in life are looking for answers. Most of us look for answers. And, 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 and uh, we only find answers when we begin to understand who God is. When we begin to understand who God is, we begin to understand who we are. When we begin to understand who God is, and we only understand who God is through the work of the Holy Spirit, through uh, uh, listening and consulting with others, but mostly through the Word of God. Through how God speaks to us individually through His Word. And when they did that, um, they began to respond. They listened carefully to the Word of God. They listened to what God might say to them, what God was speaking to them and for them in their lives. Lovely having Ben and Will with us. What do they say? This year, we want to come to God, to know God. What's God saying to us? What's God calling us to? That's a great thing to put a year by to do that. It'll, it'll shape them for life. What's God calling us to do? You know, it, all of life has to be seen through, through the lens of God. What, what, how does God fit into this? What does God call us to this? How does God shape my life in this way? Then verse 4, it goes on, Ezra, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood, and a whole list of names come out, to his left stood, and a whole list of names come out. And Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I had someone say to me the other day, they're just joining our church. I don't know if they joined our church, but I'm terrible, really, because I say hello to people and then I forget who they are the next week. I'm just, forgive me if I've ever done that to you. It's not you, it's me. I have an issue. I, I look and I know your face. And then I say to someone, oh, we've met before. And they go, no, we've never met before. I'm like, oh, I really blew that one. But, you know, this person said to me, I said, oh, a lot of people in St. Paul's, they seem to raise their hands in worship. What's that about? <laughs> so, well, it's in the Bible, actually. When we worship the Lord, we give him our all. Lord, it's for you. Everything. I'm an open book. It's for you. It's, we, we, I said to the I said, if you, if you want a church that's going to be a little tighter, <laughs> go to something a little more Anglican. But here... We're just after Jesus. If, if that was you, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> if it wasn't you, you're not here. But it, it, the, 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 thing, the thing is that, that these people, they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They, they didn't just listen, but they responded. It spoke to their hearts. God's word's got to speak to our hearts. The re-instruction isn't just about learning in our heads. We can learn loads in our heads, but it doesn't change us until it changes our hearts. What's the motivation? Well, how do we respond with our hearts? 
Mark's gospel, it, it says, uh, Jesus teaches, doesn't he? He says, it's, it's the, the thought life that defiles you. He says, for from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, and eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slumber, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. Are they what defile you and make you? They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. These these people, they say, well, we don't want that in our heart. We want in our hearts the things of God. And they said to Nehemiah and, and, and Ezra, did it? They said, feed us with the things of God. That it's not just about reconstructing the walls, but it's about reinstructing our lives. That our lives would reflect the life of God. If I ask you the question. Is your life instructed by the Word of God? Do you live a life that is a reflection of your Savior, Jesus? Are you, like Paul, able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Imitate my life, because my life imitates my Savior's life. That's what I do. If you want to know what Christ is like, you can look at me. That's why, that's why I'm, uh, I wanted to do the notice about Kenny because I think, I think, I think he does imitate Christ. It just does. It's just lovely to be around. First time he stayed at our house, we went home afterwards, and we were back having uh, dinner. I think it was dinner that night, and some of our children they said, "Oh, it's just like having Jesus to stay," uh, and he's like that. Im- imitate me, Paul was able to say, as I imitate Christ. And, and what Nehemiah was doing with the people in the reinstruction of their lives, he was saying, live life in such a way that you would imitate Christ. You would imitate your heavenly Father. And as they responded, what happened? It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, who were interpreting uh, for the people, said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God, for the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. What had been going on? They'd, been, they, they'd listened, they'd heard, they'd understood, they perceived we've lived life for ourselves. We're not reflecting our Lord. Lord, forgive us. Repentance, repentance is the good news of the gospel. Lord, help me to get my life right. Help me to get my life right before you. Help, help me to come quickly to say I'm sorry. Help me to put right what I do wrong. Help me to reshape my thinking, that my thinking would just be about you. That the thoughts in my head would bring you glory and honor and praise. And therefore, that that that's in my head and heart would be motivated only by wanting to live my life, to bring glory to you. And as they listened, so their hearts changed. They didn't just listen, they then acted. All of those things come from within us, but it's not until we hear the word of God and we realize that we have to change, that we then have to act. It's no good just having a great worship time. We've got to act on it. And the people here, they acted on it. They became a different community. They became this community that once again pursued God, that once again sought after God with their whole hearts. Lord, we want you over everything. 
What made them weep was their own acceptance of the evil in their hearts, that they knew they needed to do something about it. I don't know if you're like me, sometimes when you read the headlines each day, just like, a, that is just, you know, you don't want to read it, do you? You just think, oh, golly, another, what, what did I read today? Another teenage murder in London last night. Nine, 9.20 last night or something, uh, a teenager was stabbed to death in London. That's a, that's a life gone. That's a family wrecked, completely wrecked by someone's anger, an uncontrollable spirit, whatever it might have been. There was something in somebody who caused the death of somebody else and has caused devastation in other people's lives. And, and you look at the press and you think, well, what are we doing? What are we doing? I sometimes wonder whether we've become numb to bad news. And, of course, the truth is that at times we have. Has anybody here, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, has anybody here ever seen a program on television that highlights the plight of people around the world and thought, I'll just see if CSI's on. You know, I can't bear to watch that at the moment. Now, I'm sure that none of you have ever done that. But I think it's all too easy to do. It's all too easy to to pass over the issues uh, in uh, this world. And what we've got to do is we've got to find again the will of God and the heart of God that we be a people who act on it and bring change in uh, this world. And not only did that that happen in them, but they began to bring change. and, and, And Nehemiah finishes this little bit of the passage and he says this, verse 10, he says, and Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate. Today's not a day for weeping. He says, go and celebrate with uh, with a, a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Do not be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that great? The joy of the, find joy in the Lord. That'll be your strength for every day. That'll give you a new focus on every day. That'll give you a different perspective on every day. Find strength in your heavenly Father. And as as the joy of the Lord becomes your strength, so you will bring change to those around you. The word that brings the joy, of course, is forgiveness. Forgiveness in our hearts. That's what Nehemiah was saying. He says, you're repenting, you're weeping. Today's a day for celebration because you'll find new life in that. And the thing is this, you've got to take that new life and you've got to go and live it. Live it that you be different in this community. God doesn't look at our problems. He offers us solutions. He doesn't offer us our problems. He look at our problems. He, he offers us solution. I'm struck. I'm struck um, as I'm often struck by Jesus meeting with uh, the people who would have been seen to be um, uh, the, 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 the forgotten and the, the the most broken in society. Do you remember that occasion um, in John chapter eight where? where they bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Do you remember that occasion? And it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they brought this woman to Jesus. He'd been teaching the crowd. And they said, said, the law of Moses says we're to stone her. 
What do you say we should do? And, and Jesus is caught, in a sense. Because, because he wants to obey God's ways. He's got to do that. That's what he's got to do. But he's also got this incredible heart for the rejected and the dejected in society, those that people would cast aside. And I bet at that moment, there was probably in Jesus, I like to think this, I'm putting this in scripture, don't you know, don't requote me on it. But I'd like to think of that moment, there was like that, that pregnant pause when Jesus went, oh, here's a moment. And then, of course, he looks down and he starts writing, Jesus was here in the sand, or whatever he was writing at that moment. And he looks up and he says, well, this is what he says. I'm expanding this. You better do the law then. So you, who've never sinned, you can throw the first stone. He's, he's got them back. Says, it's not about fundamentalism. And it's not about liberalism. It's not about anything goes. And it's not about we'll judge you and condemn you. It's about grace. It's about saying there's a new way to live. There's a new way to live. And Jesus went on drawing, didn't he? And I love that little bit at the end. And he looks up and he says to the woman, and I think all the, all the original crowd, the sinners and the broken and those who'd run to him were probably still there looking on. He, he looks up and he says, oh, they've all gone. Didn't, didn't they find they could condemn you? And she says, no. And he, he says, well, he says, go sin no more. Not liberalism. Go sin no more. Live a different life. Live a life that honors God. Live a life that honors God that's full of the grace of God. And that's what is happening here. These people, they're discovering, they're discovering repentance. And he's, Nehemiah says, today's a day to celebrate. Because if you discover repentance, you'll live a new life. Repentance is the heart and the gateway to a new life. I'm just going to finish the passage for you so that we've done the whole of the chapter. Verse 13 onwards. On October the 9th, the family leaders and all the people together with the priests, the Levites, met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. As they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. He had said that a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills and get branches from olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees. And they were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed by the law. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roofs of their houses and in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, or in the squares just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate. So everybody who'd returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival. And they were all filled with great joy. And the Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Now when you read that, you think, well, there's a bizarre thing, isn't it? Go cut some branches off a tree and build a shelter for yourself and move out of your house and live in a little wooden thing that you build on your rooftop. 
Why did they do that? Let me just tell you in one minute why they did that. This is the uh, great feast of tabernacles, which was a reminder that they were called as a people of God out of Egypt. And their departure out of Egypt was very sudden. They weren't even to sit down when they ate the Passover meal. They had to eat standing up. They had their staffs in their hands. They were dressed in traveling clothes, ready to eat. And they went out at a word of command and they left Egypt in one night. Thousands of people journeyed into the desert and there was no shelter for them. So they had to build them. And they cut off the trees, the branches, and they built for themselves shelters. And they built these every year to remind themselves that they're just strangers and pilgrims in this land. This world is not their home. All the great blessings of this life would not necessarily be found in this present time, but we're waiting for a truer glory. And so they had to live in these shelters, and it was to remind them that the new iPhone 5 is not a necessity. What is a necessity is to remember what God has done for you in the past and to be grateful for his grace and favor in our lives. And that at one point in my life, he didn't come to me and go, Mark Melius, you are the most awful dreadful, sinful, selfish man in the world. He came to me and he said, Mark Mellorish, I love you and I'd like to change you a bit. Would you let me work with you? And he invited me in to a new life. And he wants to do the same with each and every one of us. He doesn't want to say, you're a dreadful, sinful person. He wants to say, Would you live your life with me as your Lord and Savior, with me as your master and commander, with me as your friend? Would you live your life in a way that would reflect the goodness and the grace of the almighty and great God? And would you live your life in such a way that you realize that this life is just but a a blink of the eye. It's just a, a moment in time. It's like It's like just a a day in the whole of your life because there is yet to come a greater glory when we'll be with the Lord forever. And so we're to hold lightly the things that we think are so important. We're to hold lightly our houses and our cars and our money and our iPhone 4Ss or 5s or whatever they might be or Blackberries or Samsungs or Galaxies or I don't know if it's the same thing, but you know, those things. We hold those things lightly because we're just travelers. We're just travelers in this world, making our way to a time when we'll be with the Lord forever because he loves you more than you know. And he wants you and me to be people who remember his grace of the past, thankful for what he's done, who choose to live his life in the present with a regular repentance, a gentle heart, a soft heart that says, Lord, help me choose to follow you. Help me choose daily to follow you. Help me to think of you and to live my life to honor you.
and that through our lives, others might see us and go, he or she, they're a bit like Jesus. I would like to know a bit more about him. I think we desperately need, like these people in Nehemiah's time, we desperately need that hunger again for the things of God. That hunger again for the direction of God. Is that okay? That was a long talk, wasn't it?